Morning, family. Happy Thanksgiving. That's that's the way we're gonna. That's that's what we're gonna take a look at over the next several weeks. We're gonna look at uh, the book of Colossians, and um, we're gonna open and study that book. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there and to follow along or on your digital Bible, whatever. Um, we're going to take a look at the book of Colossians. It's a great, great book. It, it's a book, we're going we're gonna to take a look at how to know God's will, how to reach your potential, marriage tips, opportunities for greater rejoicing, uh, we're going to learn more about who Jesus is, where to get more spiritual power, how to sp speed up your spiritual growth, and you're going to discover your divine privileges. All of that is found in this book. It's so applicable to our life in so many ways. And we're, we're looking at this study that is also, it's going to reveal Jesus to us in a, a greater way. And more than anything, I think, it's going to help us become more like Jesus. That's really our goal, isn't it? To be more like Christ. And um, I read a, um, a plaque this week, and it said, always be yourself, except when you can be Batman, and then always be Batman. <laughs> I loved it, but... Really, here it is, always be yourself unless you can be more like Jesus and then always be more like Jesus. I believe that's the call in our life. Jesus wants us to learn what it means to, to live, live life that is above where we are in our life and how we can actually become more and more like him. Now, the book of Colossians, let me give you a little bit of background. It's a, it was a church uh, that Paul is writing to that was in what is Mesopotamia or, or modern-day Turkey today. Um, Paul never visited that church. Now, he did stay in Ephesus, which was about 100 miles away. He, he was there and, of course, founded that church and, and pastored that church for three years. But now... He's writing a church, um, this church that he's never been to. And uh, it was pastored by someone who served Paul. So uh, uh, most people believe that while Paul started the church in Ephesus, of course, the word went out and different people who were discipled by Paul went out and, and started churches. And this church specifically was uh, pastored by Epaphras. And we know he, he pastored it. He probably was, in fact, the founder. And Epaphras was um, a person that Paul really um, partnered with. He said he was a servant with him. He actually, the Bible says that he, Paul described him as a fellow prisoner in Christ. That probably along the line, somewhere along the line, Epaphras was thrown in prison, maybe as he was visiting Paul in prison. And, pa and Paul wrote this this to them. He probably um, 
In fact, it's pretty clear that he explained what the church was going through and where the church was and what the church might need and asked Paul to write them. So Paul writes them, even though he has not visited them, and, uh, and he's letting them know all these things we talked about, how they can deal with these things. Now, the church in Ephesus was, um, it was surrounded by people and culture and views, philosophical views and religious views that really correlate with the world we live in. We can find these same things in Orange County. We can find them in Southern California and uh, in our country. We'll find these same philosophical views that started way back. They were way back in, in this time of, of the church uh, in Colossae. Now, Colossae, the church itself was young. It's a, it's a fairly new church. So, obviously, they're learning, they're, they're, being, they're growing, they're just discovering some things in their walk with God. But not only that, but in that community was also, well, estimates are that there were about 50,000 Jews in that, in that community. M many more Gentiles, many more, but, but about 50,000 Jews. So we would expect that there were, um, th there were synagogues, obviously, would be there in that whole region. And probably this church was started in a synagogue. Most churches were. If, if they didn't, if the synagogue didn't get completely converted and recognize that Jesus was their Messiah, usually people in the synagogue, Jews in the synagogue did, and they would start a church nearby and, uh, and so forth. There's always a, a tremendous pressure on these new churches. And, uh, and as they're tr trying to, to grow and proclaim the gospel, there's, there's, they, they have to deal with cultures that have many different um, religious views and many different gods. Um, they have to deal with um, the emperor god issue in Rome. They have to deal with people that don't like change and, and a people who say there's only one way to get to God. There's only one way to heaven. And that's always, it's always a rub, if you would. Whether it's a tr it is the truth, but it's always a rub. And they have to deal with the persecution that comes along with that as they're coming to Christ. Now, they, Paul is writing them to keep their eyes out for some heresies. And there's four specific. And we, as we go through this book, you're going to discover these. In, in fact, as we open them up, you'll go, oh, yeah, I see that around me. I see that in my workplace. I see that in my, you know, I see that in my school. I see that same philosophical view popping up all around me. And, in fact, it is the culture of, of our time, these same similar, similar views in, in our time. Now, the four that, that uh, they deal with is, first of all, humanism. And, uh, and humanism is that man is the center of all that matters. It's man mankind is the center, humanism. And uh, the second one is legalism. And that's rules to get into uh, a standing, a, a, a good standing with God. 
and there's there, th these rules and regulations, and many of you know what these are, but I'll, we'll, we'll, um, we'll unpack them as we go through this the next few weeks. Then there's mysticism, that's spiritual mysticism that was also you know, rampant in the culture. And, and like places in the world today, like Africa, is filled with spiritual mysticism. One of the biggest challenges in Africa besides Islam is um, mysticism, which is even tied. A lot of the, lot of the Muslims in Africa also have this mysticism with them. And when they come into Christ, they come into to Christianity, they bring it oftentimes with them, and it has to be, they have to be retaught the fact that there is only one God. And, you know, you, 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 you can kind of extrapolate what that looks like when there's a, a Christian who is also into mysticism. Um, and Paul addresses that at another time when they were, um, where, where these mystics were, they, they, they look for things in Christianity that supports their mysticism. For one, one, they were worshiping angels at one time, and Paul had to put a stop to that, say, you, no, no, no. And that, you find that in the church. At times you find mysticism that comes up. I remember there was this big move where people were come, and the presence of God, they said, was so strong that God was filling people's teeth with gold. And I don't know why gold. Why not just kind of fix their teeth with with the, you know, the, the same uh, bone marrow that's in our teeth. Why not just fill them na the natural way? But I guess God wanted them to have rich teeth. And, uh, but you, you find that, that there, is, there, there, there is this oftentimes look for things um, that the mystics bring. And then um, lastly, asceticism, which is the deprivation the, the, to, is the way to spirituality. And all four of those are seen here, and we see that in our culture today. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Now, I'm going to take you, we're, um, if you're in Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to take you to the last two verses, and then we'll come back, okay, to the first. And the reason for that is I want you to see where we're going and what Paul's desire was. He, he said uh, in verse 28, him we preach. The him here is Jesus. So if you, you would see it a little bit further up, you would see the him is Jesus. Him, Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. The goal is to present every man perfect in Christ. Now, before you go, wait, nobody's going to be perfect. Don't forget that last phrase. He said, he's not saying to present every man perfect, and he doesn't stop there. He says to present every man perfect in Christ. In Christ is how we are made perfect. He says, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So Paul wanted to bring people to a fullness in their walk with God, that they would, they would walk with God in such a way that they were mature and become mature followers, mature believers, and 
that they would settle in their heart forever the sacrifice, the completed work of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Now, as we go through this book, and one of the reasons we're going verse by verse, as we do oftentimes, is because when you teach God's word, and this is what Paul was teaching, he was teaching the truth of the gospel, who's teaching the word of God, and you'll find that as we go through, he's pulling all these things, mostly from the old covenant and, and the teachings of Jesus, and of course what the Lord also obviously taught him in the desert. But Paul is, um, Paul is intent on giving them God's word. Because he knows that if you get God's word, you're going to know God more. You're going to know him better. You're going to grow. You're going to mature as the Holy Spirit helps you understand and gives you insight into God's word as, we, as he teaches it. And you're going to become a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And as opposed to taking only sections of the Bible and only teaching those sections that oftentimes might be more inspiring but aren't more inspired. And so when we go through, you'll see we're going to be forced to hit a couple of tough spots in this book. But when we do, we'll learn some things that are helpful for us. So let's take a look at verse 1 of chapter one of the book of Colossians. And by the way, I just, if, if, uh, I just encourage you this week, open up this book. You can, you can read it in just a few minutes, just less than a half hour, you can read this book. In fact, you can do it slowly in less than a half hour. And you can read this entire book and, uh, and you can start to glean from it as we gather each week. Colossians chapter one and verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, we know Timothy was one that Paul led to the Lord and had been his right-hand person with him in, in so much of his ministry. And, uh, and Paul is describing himself as a, an apostle. In fact, he recognized himself as an apostle who came in due time because an apostle, the requirement of an apostle was that they saw the resurrected Jesus. An apostle had to have seen Christ resurrected. And Paul did. Paul did after. He wasn't there at the resurrection with the other apostles, but Jesus appeared to him afterward while he was in, in that desert and he and Jesus taught him. And it was accepted by the apostles that he was an apostle. In fact, not only that, but they accepted that Paul's writings were in fact inspired. Peter says that about Paul's writings, that they were inspired by God. So we see that Paul makes clear that he's an apostle, and then he says, to the saints, or we should just say that the holy ones. And whenever you hear saints, of course, you know, nowadays we hear the word saint and it's somebody who has reached a pinnacle of spirituality and they've been dead a long time. But that's not the Bible term or use of this word. It's to be holy. It's a, it, you could even say to the holy ones and, uh, uh, that are in Christ Jesus. The holy means to be set apart. They're set apart unto God. And if you're set apart unto God, you're a saint. And if you have decided to follow Jesus, that means you're set apart unto God. 
and you are a saint. Isn't it nice to know? Aren't you spiritual? Can you see the halos just kind of starting to glow around people's head right now as they're recognizing that? So, and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, he's really building them up. He's telling them. Now, obviously, he had gotten some information here that, uh, that was helpful for him. Epaphras probably told him about this church, and he, he obviously loved this church, and he wanted this church to have all that God had for them. And so Paul is talking about who they are, and he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a salutation. This, we see Paul doing this over and over again. Most of his epistles, he says this, grace to you and peace from God the Father. He uses that. But don't pass that by. It, it's in the scripture over and over again. So oftentimes it becomes, kind of, well, I've heard that, I've seen that, I've read that over and over and over again. But sometimes we pass that by as it's just kind of like, uh, you know how we'll go, hey, how you doing? And, and you don't expect anybody to really respond to that other than, yeah, fine. You know, it, it's, 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 it's our, hi, how are you? It's hi, you know, that's not what's going on here. When Paul is saying, um, grace to you and peace from God the Father, it's a declarative statement prophetic toward them. It's, it's kind of like say, saying, I bless you in Jesus' name. Not just saying God bless you, but saying, I bless you in Jesus' name. It's a declarative, prophetic word. And Paul is saying, grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. Now, peace is the shalom in the, in the, the Hebrew, of course. This was written in Greek, but that would be a common um, greeting in in, in Judaism. So as Paul was growing up, that's what he would often say. Instead of saying, how are you? They'd say, shalom, shalom, shalom. Turn to your neighbor, say shalom, shalom, peace. Now, now say it, say it prophetically. Say it this way, peace to you. Say it prophetically, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Can you do that? See, you have, if, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, those declarative words are power. There's power in those words. It's not just, hey, how are you? It's grace to you. God's unmerited favor, grace to you. And peace to you. You're declaring God's word to them. And you're speaking it in a prophetic way and expect them to receive that from the Lord. That's, that's the way Paul is doing it. He's not just saying, hey, how are you doing? He's declaring it, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this book, even though I think, um, you know, Philippians is also a book of thanksgiving. There's no doubt. And we'll oftentimes call uh, the book of Philippians in the book of, of thanksgiving. But Colossians is a book of thanksgiving. And that's why I say uh, thanks living, because what he's doing is he's going to help them learn how to live in a thankful way heart with a thankful heart and he 
he expresses it, he shows it in his own life. And I think we could stop here and just take a look at our own hearts and say, do I give thanks enough to God? Do, do I, is it part and parcel of my attitude of heart? I'm going to ask this. Do you, do you give more thanks to God or complaints to God? Which one weighs more? You know, do you give, for every time you give thanks, do you give like 10 complaints? Because that's the attitude really of Paul is an attitude of thankfulness. An attitude that says, you know, I'm looking for a way to give thanks and I'm looking for things to give thanks for. And right from the get-go here, he says, we give thanks to God the Father uh, for you and, and, uh, uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, which was also something that is always in. He, Paul modeled the kind of prayer life that we should model. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, that he learned from the Lord the importance of prayer. And prayer was something that was breathed from Paul on a regular basis. So you see this often. I pray for you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know that I have been praying for you in all of this. Once I heard about you, you got on my prayer list. That's a kind of a good way to work. It's kind of a good way to live. That once you know of someone that they somehow get on your prayer list. Now you can begin to, to lift them up to the Lord. And Paul does that. We don't know how frequently, but obviously always, he says. That sounds like a lot. And uh, so he's, he says, I'm praying. Since we heard of your faith, I want you to notice this one. We heard of, I'm just going to read the next two verses. It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I want you to just notice these three words, and then we'll come back to this, uh, you know, unpacking this. But if, I want you to see there's faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, these three, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, the greatest, he says, is love. But I want you to see how faith and hope and love work together. He says, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. So Paul has been informed that they are a church filled with faith and they are a church that loves one another. There, there's a love that they have for one another. Something we should all strive for. We, no believer, no follower of Jesus should feel unloved. I, I believe that it is our call to make sure that the people God puts around us, the people that we get connected with, feel the love of Christ. They, they feel loved. And they are experiencing love. And they know that they're loved. They know there's people for them that are there for them. And, and, uh, and, and we need to expand our little circle. You know? We need to do that. E even in the church. You know, some of you have a, a group of people in the church. Maybe you're a small group, which is great. You have, you, you get in, you're in a, 
you know, you're in a connection group, and that's awesome that you are. But th that group, can, can you just expand your circle a little bit? That, that God would like us to, you know, get to know more people in the body of Christ and love more people and care for more people and show people that God loves them through our actions and our words. And we just need to keep, keep, keep growing that because we can and uh, obviously you're going to have, you can't be best friends with everybody, but you can show the love of Christ as we, we are supposed to do. Now, he says, I've heard of your faith and your love for all the saints. And then I'm, don't, don't miss this word, because. Everybody say because. See, because. Because this is, this is why. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now, you have faith and you have great amount of love. Why? Because you have a hope that is laid up in heaven for you. This is why. Because you have this hope. So I would say that hope, this hope in heaven produces both faith and love. Can you see that? Produces both faith and love. You want more faith? Increase your hope. You, you want more love? Increase your hope. This hope that we have in heaven is a hope. That hope, that, that secure hope, that anticipation hope that heaven is my home, that God has a place for me in heaven and God himself is the, you know, is, is the inheritance of my hope, then I'm going to change. I'm going to be different around people. I'm going to be different toward God. I'm going to be different toward others because of that hope. See, don't minimize that. Don't minimize the security that God has given us in Christ. Almost everything we have keeps going back to the, the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross for us, the grace that was given to us through Jesus Christ. Almost everything keeps coming right back to that. And when that's solid in your life, well, and that's secure in your life, and you know that, well, then other things come out of that in the way that you live out your life. And it's produced, and it grows. Now, hope can grow. So he said, which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So they've already heard about this hope in he of heaven. They've heard about this hope that God has given them. They've heard about it. How did they hear about it? Well, they heard about it from the word of truth. The, the scripture, the truth that they got, that is how they heard about what now they are establishing their life on. It's the truth. And that's why the value of the scriptures. Uh, we, you know, when... The, the, the Bible tells us as we get closer to the coming of the Lord that there's going to be challenges that, that the, the church for nearly 2,000 years have never experienced at that level. We're, we face challenges. And I believe that those challenges are not the challenges of persecution because that's been going on for 2,000 years. I, I think it's the level of of uh, attack against truth. I believe that's the thing that the philosophies of the world, 
Now, that's not new. You know, the Colossians face that. But what is new is the level of that attack. It's at a higher level. And I believe in that way, persecution against the truth, against what we know to be true in Christ. The scripture talks about this great falling away at some point. And I think that's, of course, at the end. And I believe that has to do with what takes place in the Antichrist kingdom and and deception at its highest level. And Jesus, in fact, said, if those days weren't shortened, um, you know, it, 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 it would de- destroy even the very elect. The, so so the, those days, the Bible says, will be shortened because this attack is going to be so fierce. And in my thoughts, it's this. We have to get God's word in us. You will not be able to stand because you heard a sermon. I'm going to say that again. And that, that's true right now. That's true right now. I'm telling you, you are not going to be able to stand because you heard a sermon. You, a sermon can be inspiring. You can get truth from good sermons that are taught from God's word. But it cannot feed you enough. I kind of hope that what you get in a sermon here is like a good steak, you know, you get, you get a good steak and potatoes and whatever. Like, I, I'm just, you know, a, 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 good, a good ribeye. Medium, you know. Point. I hope that's what you get. But if that's all you get once a week, you'll be malnutrition. You'll, you will eventually, it will eventually not sustain you. You can't live on that. I don't care how good it is. And it can inspire you. You know, if I do a good sermon, it, it might inspire you for two days. I mean, two days afterward, you might be going, hey, that was good. I know that's rare that that happens, but maybe that can happen. But it is not going to sustain you. The, the only thing is a steady, a steady, a steady. Meditate on my word day and night then it'll make your way prosperous and you will have good success then. So the value of that, and he says, listen, this is what you heard. This is what has been. This is before has been taught to you and you were able to take that truth of the gospel and establish your hope on it. It, can, it has come to you as it has also in all the world so he's saying, listen, this truth that you got, it's been spreading like crazy. It is spreading like wildfire. It's going, it's going all over the then, the then known world. Isn't it interesting? They didn't have any radio or they didn't have any television. They didn't have any YouTube or Facebook. They were able to get the gospel because... They were mature, mature followers of Jesus who had a tremendous amount of hope in their life. And they were able to share that and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ at a rapid pace. And uh, unfortunately, it stopped. 
You know when it stopped? When the church got so organized, not against organized churches, I think unorganized isn't any better, but it got so under control of a few people at the top that controlled it. And the, the scriptures were taking out of, taken out of the hands of the average folks. The average person was not hearing the teaching of the Bible. Up until that time, the church was expanding at tremendous speed. But once that happened, the average person couldn't open the scriptures in their home, of course. Even then, when they didn't have the scrolls, they did have, they did have the teaching of the word you know, out, out of the pulpit. It was taught. The Bible was what was taught. The reading of the scripture was taught regularly. And, and then that ended. And the church was weakened. And the church became... Well, it became inward instead of being the powerful powerhouse that Jesus had intended for the church to be. And this is why we, you are responsible for your own spiritual growth and maturity. If you're not growing spiritually, you cannot blame everybody else. I mean, you can blame me, but it's not my responsibility to make sure that you are feeding yourself. Right? You have to do that. And so he says, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Now, as you also learned from Epaphras, from your pastor, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love and and in the spirit, in other words, he, he told me about you. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So he tells them again. I just, I'm just telling you again, I'm praying for him. Now he's going to tell them what he prayed. He says, to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, He's praying that they will grow and learn about the Lord with all understanding and wisdom and be filled with the knowledge of God. I want to ask this question. Do you know God better today than you did a year ago? How about a month ago? Maybe even a week ago. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Because it's, it's relational, obviously. But we learn about God through the scriptures and we discover him. And that's why in this book, he's going to share with us not only the humanity of Jesus, but he's going to talk about his deity. He's going to give us a bigger, expanded view of who Jesus is. Because we need to know who Jesus is. We need to know who God is. We need to know why Jesus died on the cross. This, this last week, I came across a, uh, a teacher. In fact, it's a common teaching that has kind of gone out there, a false teaching, that declares that Jesus, 
didn't have to die. In fact, that, that in fact, God never intended, this is what they say, God never intended for Jesus to die. You, you'll hear this. Really, you listen, you'll hear this. There are people saying that if God, the Father, made Jesus go to the cross, then he is an abusive father. Now, when someone says that, I, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is they do not understand the nature of who God is. They don't understand that. And, and one of the things they don't understand is both the holiness of God and the greatness of God. Because anybody who is describing God that way, they're not describing our God. And that's the point that the scripture keeps coming to is that people tend to look at God, they look at God from the prism of their imagination unless you get it from the scriptures itself. So as a, as a person is looking and as a person can look at that and say, listen, if God was to you know, make his son die, some, sometimes they'll say this, well, why would God make Abraham kill his son? And my answer is he didn't. He just wanted to see if Abraham was willing to sacrifice the very thing he loved the most for him. And he stopped him. But he did allow his son to die. And that is anyone, as we look at this and someone who will limit God, they have this small view of God. The biblical view of God is the creator who by his word created the universe. By his word created the universe, knows all things, is holy. Made a creation, some ants on a planet who rebelled against him and became unholy, unfit for his presence. And he became an ant and died made the sacrifice on their behalf so that those ants might live in heaven. I don't know why God would want ants in heaven. You get the point, don't you? When you have a small God, it doesn't mean... Yeah, if it's a small God, he's not holy enough. He, he doesn't, it really doesn't matter, you see. If I say, yeah, no, it doesn't, you know... God, why don't you just forgive everybody? Did you have to make your son die? Jesus actually petitioned the father on that one. And he says, if there is any other way, as we said, let this cup pass from me. There was no other way for a holy and just God to redeem the world. Not, a, not an abusive father, a loving God, ultimately, the ultimate. And he never made Jesus go to the cross. Jesus had all the power. He said he could have called for legions of angels at any moment. The Father never made Jesus go to the cross. He gave him the option if he wanted to redeem mankind. 
And Jesus said, yes. How many are thankful for that? Yeah, me too. Me too. Amen. Amen. So, he says in verse 9 again, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, to do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that, everybody say that, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. That you can have a life, you will live out a life that is worthy of who you are and who you've been called to. See, that's the worthiness. The worthy is up to, what is it up to? It's up to who you are. All God's asking is for you to live. Be be yourself unless you can be more like Jesus. Then be more like Jesus. And what he's saying is, listen, this is actually who you are. This is yourself. That you are created to be in the image of God and you are a child of God. And you have a whole new purpose and a whole new calling on your life. You live at a different level. You are the beloved of God. And if you are the beloved of God, then start living like the beloved of God. If you are the apple of God's eye, and you are, God says so, you're the object of his affection, then live like you're the object of his affection. That's what he's saying. You see, this is why he described the Colossians as those who have loved, learned to love one another, why the gospel is being shared and being is penetrating the world is because Christians were growing, maturing, and starting to live like who they are. And when you start living like who you are, then all of a sudden everything around you changes. The people around you change. People start getting saved and people start getting motivated and people start discovering themselves who they are because you're living like who you are. I want to ask you, Do you live more like how God describes you or more like how you see yourself? And that's the problem. Sometimes we just don't see ourselves as God does. And when we don't, we live like the person we see ourselves to be. And you are so much more than that. We're still caterpillars when we have wings. And we haven't discovered all that God wants to give us and all that God wants for us because we're still back here. We're still back looking at ourselves as a sinner that's been saved. I'm so tired of hearing people say that. I'm just a sinner that is saved. No, you're not any longer. You can say, I was a sinner that am saved, but you better define it the way it's supposed to be. It's not who you are anymore. You are not a sinner. You are a saint. And you have to see through the eyes of Jesus yourself. When you look in the mirror, what has God called you to be? Start living like that. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, that, that as you do, as you discover who you are in this, and 
this is what, why he's praying this into them so that they'll understand, they'll be fruitful, they'll, they'll, be, they'll walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Because the only way you get fruitfulness is by the work of the Holy Spirit as you're submitted to him and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might. This is still part of his prayer. Strengthened with all might. All might. What is that? What kind of might is all might? I would say all might has to be his might. Because he's the only one who has all might. That you'll be strengthened with his power. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering and joy. And now those are examples of things that all power produces. How many know it takes a lot of power to be patient? Anybody? I, I do. I recognize, man, I need power. Whoo! I need power at times. Patience is one that draws a lot of power. And long-suffering. How do you do that with joy? God's power. You might be going through things that you need patience. You might be going through a time or a season of suffering, long, long suffering. You have to walk through that. How do you do that with joy? You can, but you can't do it on your own. You do that by drawing on God's power, by drawing on Christ. By, by an intimate relationship with God that is growing every single day. And as you're growing in that relationship, and I don't want to make it sound like it's a big work. You know, you got to grow in the Lord every day. Oh, then get up and you just got to really press in and make that happen. No, it's, it's not hard. It's pretty simple. I mean, it, it's, there's an element of discipline that helps you. There are things that help you grow in the Lord that are pretty simple. Pray. Spend, spend a few minutes praying. Let God lead you in that. Read God's word. Fellowship when you can. Get connected. These are just basic things. As you, and as you do, as you read, as you learn, then do it. And you'll be growing every day. See, growing spiritually is a lot like getting in shape. Okay? I, uh, I, I have done this many times. I admit, I confess to you, I have decided I was going to work out. I'm going to just, because I used to work out really steady. And I used to do weights. So I have done this a few times, and you would think I would learn but I go to the gym and I get all the weights and I just pump it up. Massive. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> and I can't comb my hair the next day. And I can't work out for two weeks. Because <laughs> that's not how you build it. Right? You just, you just be faithful, consistent. The, the nice thing about spiritual growth is you don't have, like, you know, 
as you get older, they tell us at my age, you should only work out maybe two or three times, three times the max a week. You should, because your recovery time is slower. That's what they tell you. Um, here's a good thing about spiritual growth, and it doesn't matter what your age is, you can work out every day, spiritually, every day. You can work out every day. You can grow every single day. So let me come to a conclusion here. I'm over time, but he says, <clears throat> giving thanks to the Father again, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light uh, we get to participate he has delivered us from the power of darkness can conveyed to conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love we're going to unpack that next week because this is what is the number one thing jesus talked about in the gospels some of you know you've gone through deeper one um, but what is the number one? You just put it in your mind. What is the number one thing Jesus talked about more than anything else? The kingdom of God. More than anything else. Over a hundred times in the Gospels, Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God. Why? Because there's only two kingdoms, and you're in one or the other. That's all there is. And if you have not got into God's kingdom, that means you are part of the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom. You're not just kind of, you know, you have your beliefs and there's all these different beliefs. And Christianity is one where there's two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom and there's a kingdom of darkness. And you are either in God's kingdom or you are in the kingdom of darkness. And... The way you get into God's kingdom is you accept God's sacrifice, his gift, freely. It's a free gift. You can get into God's kingdom right today, right now. All you need to do is allow Christ to come into your life by faith. And you look to Jesus, the sacrifice God gave us, so that we could have our sins forgiven and we can be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And so you do that right now. And if you've not done that, you can just simply say this to the Lord, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. And God, I want Jesus to be my savior. And I choose you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me or cleanse my soul from all of my sin. I put my faith in what you did when you died on the cross for me and the sins of the world. And I ask you, Lord, because of that, to come into my life. I believe you died, you were buried, and you rose again. And that, Lord, I look forward to someday being with you eternally because you did that for me. I surrender my heart to you. I choose you, Jesus. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Worship team, you guys come on up. We can't leave without thanking the Lord. Can we do that? Let's thank him because we're not only going to do it on Thanksgiving, right? We're going to do it through living. By the way, can I just encourage you? Thanksgiving service Wednesday night 
Well, it's one of my favorite days of the year. So a few years ago, it's when Jesus healed me and I had a miracle, but it's also just a wonderful time just to thank the Lord and, uh, and especially set a time aside. We're going to have a little bit more praise and worship and thanksgiving, and it's going to be a great time. So I encourage you to come and be with us on Wednesday night. Let's lift our hearts. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.